Well, it's really, honestly, a privilege for me to be here and trying to get this working. So I'm going to talk for a second. Um, Because I've heard so much about St. Austell, believe it or not. Every time from Pete at the retreat, um, but also from John, uh, for the past few years, I've I've heard a lot, a lot about St. Austell and all the exciting things that are happening here as well. And so it really, really is um, a privilege. And so when Pete asked me, um, although I was sort of on a break and been taking a break, I was like, yes, just for you, Pete, I will speak. Uh, but no, it's really, really great. And um, the title this morning is Making Space for Jesus. Could you turn to the person next to you or behind you or beside you and tell them, I want to make space for Jesus this morning? Okay, right, that's enough. Come on. We're in church. Behave yourselves. So, making space for Jesus. I believe you've been in a series on prayer. Is that right? Come on. Yes, yeah. yes, you have. And I've listened as well the past few weeks. So, thanks, Pete. Been really great. Some really wise things coming out there and a lot to take on that I needed to hear as well. So, thanks, Pete. And so, Pete messaged me and said you were doing a, a series on prayer, but pray and talk about what you feel the Lord lays on your heart, Jason. So I started to pray about it, and I had one word just come into me. Has that ever happened to you, where you just feel one word come into you? And so the word fasting came to me. Now, that doesn't happen very often. And so I was like, yes, it probably is from God. And so I messaged Pete about it, and Pete was like, yeah, like we're not only doing a series and season of praying, but we're also fasting. Is that right? So you're doing praying and fasting. So I was delighted to hear that. And so by the sounds of it, you are already professional fasters. (laughs) And you should be talking to me about fasting. No? Okay, well, hopefully this morning then, uh, you may be able to pick up a few things. You've been in Matthew 6. Okay, so I want to read three verses. Hopefully they should be on the screen. And it goes like this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. So he's talking about mainly the Pharisees there. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I want to start with my journey of fasting before we get going. And fasting for me has been a real, real difficult discipline, if I'm honest. I'm guilty. I love food. Anybody else? Yeah? And so fasting is not really something that I grew up raving about and saying, yes, like that's the best part of the Christian life. We get to fast. And I just didn't understand the value of fasting. 
But all it was is that I'd never really heard it talked on. You just don't really hear fasting talked about much, do you? And so about three years ago, a pastor that was in my life kind of came alongside me and started to talk to me about fasting and challenging me on it and speak, you know, Jason, like, where are you up to with it? And to be honest, I hadn't done a great deal of fasting before that. And so it was as he challenged me and as he basically shared his experiences of fasting, that really started to inspire me to fast. So my hope and my prayer is that this morning, that by the end of this morning, that the Holy Spirit will have spoken to you about fasting and about what fasting looks like in your life, because it looks differently to us all, doesn't it? It has to, because we're all individual, and God made us like that. And so this morning, I want to focus specifically on why you should fast. Because we shouldn't just be fasting because Pastor Pete tells us to fast, or because the church is fasting, right? Because that's religion, isn't it? But actually, we want to do it out of the relationship that we have with Jesus, but before we get on to why fasting, I want to start very briefly with what what is fasting. Because I don't want to assume this morning that all of you know what fasting is. Because you might not. So I want to start with what is fasting. In the dictionary, this is what fasting is. Simple. No, well, it's not simple, but <laughs> it's simply this. An abstinence from food or a limiting of one's food, especially when voluntary and as a religious observance. So that's what fasting is. So fasting is not, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but when I read the Bible, fasting is not taking a break from social media, or not watching TV for a day, or not going to the gym for a few weeks, or not going to a particular shop that you might like. Now, some of those things are great, don't, don't get me wrong, and, and it's good and right that we do sort of separate ourselves from some of those things, but when we see Jesus and when we see the early church, fasting is very specifically linked to food and liquid. And why is that? That's because it's our source. It has clear parallels with Jesus being the bread of life. And also, do you remember when Jesus is in the wilderness and he speaks against the devil? And what's the first thing he quotes from Deuteronomy 8? He says, man shall not live on... I thought it was social media. I thought it was watching TV. No, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And finally, to say this about what is fasting. Fasting is more than a diet regime. It's more than a way to save a few pounds. In actual fact, it'll probably save you some. So, we've come to the best bit. Why should we fast? And I have, I've tried to break it down and make it really simple. Not because I think you're simple, but because that's how my mind works. And I've got five points for you. 
and hopefully we're ready to go on them. Great. So, point number one. Jesus fasted and he assumes we should fast. So the Son of God has spent 30 years training for ministry. He's been working as a carpenter under his father in his hometown in Nazareth. No theological education, no Bible college, no training courses. And the time has come. He's ready for ministry. He heads down to the Jordan River to meet up with his cousin John. And John ends up baptizing him. And Jesus is ready to go. He's ready to get the courses up and running, get the rotors going, get the house groups organized, get the, get the teaching series together. Wait. What's the first thing Jesus does? He gets sent into the wilderness. Now, that's always puzzled me. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Matthew 4, the opening verses says this. Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) I love that. It's brilliant, isn't it? The Bible. It's like typically no emotion. It's like he was hungry. I bet he was hungry. This is crazy, right? It's like our God and the Holy Spirit like teaming up on Jesus to try and kill him. Because 40 days fasting in a desert is intense. When you hear the word wilderness, I'm not sure what you're picturing, but in the Greek, it literally means desert or wasteland. Like nothing there. So it's as if Jesus was fasting almost because there was nothing there to eat anyway or nothing to catch. And so that is sort of what you have to envisage in your mind. And and in our passage today, as we move back to Matthew 6, which is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is like his how-to-do-life sermon. Did you notice that he didn't say, if you want to, or if you feel like fasting? No, he says, when you fast. And that's significant, isn't it? So Jesus assumes that we're fasting. And then again, a few chapters later in Matthew 9, John's disciples come up to him and say, hang on a second, Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? And Jesus just says, well, how can the disciples of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's still here? But there'll come a time when they are to fast. So again, Jesus is just assuming that we fast. In other words, we can't escape it. As a Christian, it has to be something that's a part of our life. And here's an interesting side point about Matthew 6 that you might not have noticed before. But Jesus actually describes fasting as an act of righteousness. In verse 1, if you've got your Bibles, you can look at it. In verse 1 of Matthew 6, it says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now in our Bibles, we have verses and chapters, don't we? But actually in the Greek, it was just like a script. So they didn't have all these verses and chapters lined up. So you can actually read verse 1 
in front of because it talks about giving, doesn't it? And prayer and fasting. So in other words, Jesus is describing each of these as an act of righteousness. Now, I don't mean by that, just in case some of your kind of antennae started going off, that we earn righteousness. Because why and how are we righteous? By faith in Jesus. So because of Jesus, we're righteous. So what does it mean that it's an act of righteousness? Well, what it means is that it's like an overflow of the righteousness within us. Does that make sense? So it's not, so it's not an act of, it's an act out of righteousness. Okay. So, not only do we see Jesus fasting, but we also see the early church fasting. If you notice in the book of Acts, whenever they make like a major decision, and we don't have time, I'm afraid, to go into them all, but they pray and fast. So if the early church and the early disciples and the early apostles needed to pray and fast, then how much more do we need to write 2,000 years later? So, why was Jesus fasting? Why were the early church fasting? Why does he describe fasting as an act of righteousness? Well, the other four points that we're going to pick up on now, if you're still with me, yeah, give me a nod or a wave. You're still awake. Good, good. I'm going to talk about some, and they're not in order, by the way. You could order them however you want in terms of importance. But I want to give you four ways or four things to show the significance of fasting. I mean, just in case that doing as Jesus did wasn't enough for you and you're a wise sort of person. Okay. Point number two. Priorities. Can you say that with me? Priorities. So in Mark 10, we have the story of this man who comes to Jesus. And we know he's wealthy. We don't know his age. Generally, we assume he's young, but we don't know that. That's probably just because of the decision he makes. So he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus goes, well, you do this, that, this, some of the commandments. And he says, yes, I've done it. I've nailed it. And then Jesus says, okay, one thing you lack. Now go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what does he do? He's sad, isn't he? He goes away. And some of you might have read this, that having money is bad. So (laughs) if you're rich in this room, it's a bad thing. Because that's how you could read that passage, isn't it? And In church history, that's often how this passage has been read. But actually, money here is not the problem. What's the problem? The problem is that money has him. So money and wealth and the finance is what? It's his priority. So that's what Jesus is challenging in this situation. So can I ask you this morning a a very personal question? What are your priorities in life? What are the things that consume your time? Imagine for a second that I was to follow you around for a day. So if I see the things that you did, the, the things that you spent your time doing, what would I learn from that? 
And I'm here till Tuesday, by the way. So you better watch out. No, but seriously, though, for me, having worked in ministry for the past few years, what you're talking about, what you'll spend your time doing, I can often tell where your heart is at, right? Because we do the things that we're passionate about, and, that, and that's no condemnation, but, but it's a real challenge, isn't it, for us to think in our life, well, okay, so where are my priorities at in my life? So, you might still be wondering, why does our priorities show why fasting is important? Okay, so firstly, when we fast, we are consciously making a decision to abstain from food. And in brackets, liquid, but I'll just say food from now on. Why? Because food is the very thing that our body needs to survive. So when you choose to say no to food for a short amount of a time, you're sort of saying yes to Jesus. So you're making space for Jesus. But what do I mean by that, making space for Jesus? Well, when you're fasting, you use those moments when, when you should actually be eating to spend time in prayer. And, and beyond that, when you're fasting, if you don't have a chance to do that, when you have those stomach pangs, I personally use them as a reminder, oh yeah, I'm supposed to pray. And it's amazing how helpful that is. Because... You feel so hungry, don't you? And all the time, like, your body doesn't switch off from needing food. So whatever you're doing, it will interrupt you. And what a fantastic way to be reminded to pray. So like, all of a sudden, something's stirring in you. And, and it's really hard to describe, but something special happens. Something will shift in your relationship with Jesus. And fasting is a bold statement to God, letting him know how serious you are about your relationship with him. If you choose to put God first in your life, you'll never be the same. Amen? You will see things you've never seen. Doors will open that you've never dreamt could have opened. You will experience things in your life that once were just a pipe dream but because God is on the case and he's working, something can supernaturally shift. Point number three. Adds a new dimension. What do I mean by that? Well, from what I see in the Bible and what I've seen in my own life is that fasting gives a new dimension in my Christian Life. It, it makes me more effective. Not in a formula kind of way, in the way that I could, you know, show it you on paper, but rather when I fasted, it's like giving me an edge in ministry. And by ministry, I'm just, I don't mean full time Christian ministry, but also wherever you are in your ministry, it can give you an edge. Not not in the sense of being above and beyond or better than anyone else, but, but in the sense that you find yourself more effective in serving him and in living the life that he wants you to live. Okay, you'll look a bit confused. Let me show you an example from scripture. That'll help, okay? So in Mark 9, 
Again, we're just flying through this. But Mark 9 is the incredible passage where we see Jesus go up the mount. Again, debate over which mountain it is. We won't go into that. He transfigures and he comes back down the mountain. And what's happened? There's a scene developing, isn't there? There's a crowd forming. The, this man with his boy has brought his boy to be prayed by his disciples, to be set free. And what happened? Nothing happened. They couldn't do anything. And so what does Jesus do? He comes over and he realizes there's a scene happening. And so he wants to deal with it as soon as possible. So he basically ends up, long story short, prays for the boy. The boys get set free. And then the kind of the crowd scatter and the disciples come to him, don't they? And what do they ask him? They say, teacher, why could we not pray for that boy and see him set free and healed? And what does Jesus say? He says, this only comes by prayer and fasting. So hopefully from that, you can see straight away that fasting adds a dimension to your ministry that you wouldn't have otherwise had. In other words, if you want to see more fruit in your life, if you want to be more effective, then you need to figure out for yourself what fasting looks like in your life. Again, I'm not going to stand here and tell you, well, you need to go and do a 40-day fast, or you need to go and spend time in silence. But you need to pray and start asking God, like, how can I fast? Like, what, in what ways can I fast? In, in what time frame can I fast? As I mentioned this past few weeks, I've been down visiting. And I was in Hale for a few days. The weather wasn't great, but um, it's still great just being away, isn't it? And uh, who's ever had, like, a divine appointment? You know where God kind of puts somebody in your path? So I was sat in... Uh, a cafe, a restaurant, a bar, I don't know what you call it, in Hale by the aqueduct thingy. And my friend from uh, Kenya, Nairobi, called me. So I'm talking to him in the cafe, and he just got ordained in the Anglican church. So we're talking away, and there's not many people in the cafe, and I'm chatting, telling him a bit about what I'm up to. So anyway, I put it down, and then all of a sudden, this guy turns around, and he's like, hi, yeah, couldn't help overhear you talking about ministry and working for church. I was like, yeah, yeah, like I I am. And so it turned out that he's basically running an international charity, a Christian organization, and he's a doctor in theology. And so we ended up having a really great chat, and he lives over in Chicago as well. (laughs) So um, we got chatting, and it turned out that we were both talking on fasting in a few weeks' time. He was, he was asking me, well, what are you preaching on? I was like, fasting. And he was like, oh, me too. So we just began to sort of chat about it and springboard a little bit. And after I shared my point with him about fasting adding a new dimension in your Christian walk, I think he looked impressed, I must admit. <laughs> I could see him getting his phone out like, it's good, that. So anyway, uh, he kind of smiled and nodded. And because he's a doctor in theology, he kind of said it in a better way. You know when people can just have a gift for saying something you want to say, but in like a really good way? So he just said, the nearer we are to Christ, the greater our authority. Okay, 
it sounds a little bit heretical, but let me explain what I think he meant by that. What he meant is that Jesus is the one who's been given all authority on earth and in heaven, isn't he? We know that from Matthew 28 as part of the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. So it's not that in the sense we have authority apart from Jesus, but because we are in Jesus, it's then that we have authority. Does that make sense? And so the closer that we are to Jesus, the more authority, or if you like, the more we'll understand the authority that we have. Because who knows that it's it's different, isn't it? It's one thing to have something in your possession, but it's another thing to know how to use that thing in your possession. Amen? But I want to pick up on that towards the end. And finally, a disclaimer to add, when we're thinking about this dimension in ministry, I don't think that you will always see it in a physical sense. Like you could always put your finger on it. Yes, that's my new dimension that I've just added as a part of my tool belt in ministry. It's not like that. But but there's something that takes place in the spiritual realm. It's as if you're gaining that greater authority and anointing to serve him in ministry. And when I say ministry, I absolutely believe ministry is in your context. Wherever you are, you're doing ministry. Not just stood up here, but if you're cleaning the toilets or, I don't know, serving somebody in the bakery, plumbing, electric, whatever you do, you're in full-time ministry. Amen? Okay, point number four. We're almost there. Are you, are you still with me? Yeah. Smile. Good. Point number four should be on it. There's a reward. So in verse 16 of our passage, we see that the Pharisees actually fast in order to be seen by others. And therefore, it tells us in that passage that they've received their reward. But what does that mean? What reward have they received? Well, in other words, the reward that they've received is human accolation. That, that's their reward, not spiritual blessing from God. We can see this in our own lives, though, can't we? Like, for me, when I think about this, like, I'm like, yeah, like, oftentimes, how often do we do something to be seen by others? And it's a challenge, isn't it? Because nobody really wants to do those jobs that are not seen by anybody, right? Like, the cleaner in here or whoever sets the chairs out, those sort of unseen jobs, just as important, really vital, but often we don't like to do them because we don't get that pat on the back and, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. But God will do that for you. And this is contrasted to our passage in Matthew 6 where where we're told to fast, but but to be seen only by our Father who sees what's unseen, because your father who sees what is unseen will reward you. So the big question there is, what's this reward then? What can we get in fasting? I think it's several things. Firstly, the reward is that God will answer us. Now, he might not answer us how we like it or the right answer that we want. It may be a yes, no, maybe, 
not yet, or not now, but he's answered us, right? So that's the, the big part of the reward. And secondly, I think the reward is this. The reward is that of drawing closer to Jesus and being in proximity to him. Because that's a massive reward, isn't it? If you think about it, to be close to the saviour of the world. That's a big deal, isn't it? And I don't think that we should ever, ever, ever take that for granted. Because who here is guilty of doing that? I am. Often it's just like, yeah, just hanging out with the saviour of the world. But like, no, that's a big deal. That's so cool. And so this leads us onto the final point, and it's very closely linked. And this actually, I believe, is something that Pastor Pete was talking about over the past few weeks, and it's this, intimacy. Why should we fast? Because fasting is all about intimacy. And by intimacy, I just mean being close to or in close proximity. Because what happens in fasting is that we, as we draw closer to him, we start to know his heartbeat, right? So we begin to think like he thinks. We begin to care about what he cares about. We begin to become aware of the things that he's aware of, even in our own life. As we get closer to him, because he's holy, God wants us to be holy. So God starts to challenge us in areas in our life where we might not be as holy as we ought to be. And then an example of this would be seen in Acts 4. Okay, So Peter and John, they're on trial against what's called the Sanhedrin. So that's sort of the council of some of the Jewish elders. And they kind of form and they make decisions and stuff. And did you notice in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says this. Because it's one of those verses that we often just brush over and we don't spend time on, but it's a big deal. It says this. The council realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now it tells us that they noticed they been with Jesus. That's significant, right? Now, of course, you might be thinking, well, yeah, that was okay for them, you know, the early apostles and first disciples, because they met Jesus and they hung around with Jesus. But hello, the resurrection, Jesus is not dead, but he's alive and he's still alive today. So that's why we can have a personal relationship with Jesus and spend time with him, and get to know him more, in the same way, almost, that they did. And this is so closely linked with John 15. And I notice you picked up on this. This is one of my all-favorite-time chapters in the Bible. If you don't know it, John 15, I encourage you, go away and study it. It's fascinating, and it really shows the heart of this intimacy with Jesus. And if you don't know the chapter, it's all about basically Jesus and God being the vine and we're the branches. And it says that if you remain in him, so basically if you're close to Jesus, then what will happen? 
you'll bear fruit. But here's the best bit, not just any type of fruit, but what type of fruit? Good fruit that will last. Who here wants to spend their Christian life working for fruit that will last for eternity? Amen? We are here for eternity, aren't we? Even though we have such a short amount of time on earth, God allows us to participate with this thing called eternity and have an impact and an effect on people's eternity. So you are playing such a vital role. And finally on this, the chapter before in Matthew 5, Jesus makes this incredible statement. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is telling us here to hunger and thirst. Why? Because he is the only one in this life that can bring us true satisfaction. He's the bread of life. He's the one that out of us throws these rivers of living water. I want to uh, draw it by a close this morning. And so if the band want to come up, if you're ready for that, if not, don't do it. Uh, But you can if you want. And I want to ask you a question or a few questions by finishing. And it's this. How serious are you about your relationship with Jesus? Do you, do you want to be closer to him? Do you want to see new things happen in your life? Do you want to see new doors opened up? Do you want to catch God's attention in a new way in 2020? Then don't fast. I'm joking. Fast. Fast. Now, of course... Fasting is, as I said, it's, it's individual. It should be Holy Spirit-led every time. Otherwise, it becomes like routine and religious. But my experience has been that it was difficult to begin with, like very difficult to begin with. But as I began, it's like a discipline, right, of... Yeah, you can start. It's like a, it's like a learning a new skill, isn't it? Learning a new sport. It's tough at the start, but as you get going with it, it's slowly, not that it becomes easier, but you learn and you know and you can relate to God more. And so why don't you perhaps pray about setting 2020 as a year of trying to fast? Always, often with my young people, I just say, just give it a go. What's the worst that could happen? Amen.